Obviously, I'm not Robert. He's better looking. If you'll bow your head and pray with me just a minute. Father, I'm most grateful for these people in this place. I thank you for loving us enough to create us, for loving us enough to give us each other. Regardless of what I've got prepared to say, Father, I pray that you turn it into what needs to be heard. I thank you that your spirit's perfectly capable of doing that. And I'm eternally grateful. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Good morning. I've got to find my notes. I'm not like Robert. I can't remember it all. I'm a teacher. I need a notebook. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but um, life looks a little different than it did when I was growing up. Um, I started thinking about, you know, when you get old, you start doing that reminiscing thing. Okay. So, you know, I was telling somebody the other day that was small, you know, when I was little, there were only three channels on the TV. You had to walk all the way across the room to turn a knob, okay? And there was an antenna, this big pole that my daddy, that was the man's job to turn the antenna. So, you know, he'd be at the pole and my mother'd be at the door and my brother and I'd be at the TV and we'd be going, stop, it's good. And then my mother would yell, stop. And by then my dad's already turned past. So, you know, there was just horrible trying to get it just right. This time of year, I love Christmas. So getting the closer I got to Thanksgiving, the more I had to pay attention to like commercials because you know, when I was little, Rudolph came on once, one channel, one time, one night. So if you missed it, you had to like wait till freaking next year. Do you see what I'm saying? So like there was no DVR, DVD, there wasn't a DV anything, you know. Well, there was DDT, okay? So when I was little, there was the mosquito truck, okay? So it would like, pump out this hard, this pesticide that kill mosquitoes, people, small animals, everything. And it would go like through the neighborhoods. And so like, I don't know, it's, it's the equivalent of a Kosciuszko like ice cream truck. The children would like run behind it, just breathing in the fumes. So um, you can see why I reminisce about the good old times. So, you know, it is way different than when I was a little girl. And a lot of that's good. I mean, I love a microwave oven, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but I started thinking about that. It's so different. And some things are good and some things aren't. I mean, when I left the house as a teenager on Friday night at like seven, my mother had no way of finding me till I roamed in about 11, which wasn't a bad thing, just say it. But you know, now you got cell phones, so you're instantly available and you can Skype and you know, you're just instantly connected. You can tweet and Instagram and all things. I have no idea what you people are doing. But I find it fascinating that with all that, so many people are so isolated and so lonely. You know, there's all kind of gadgets. If you want to have some fun this afternoon, just go Google cool gadgets. Most of them I couldn't show at church. So I'm just saying, they're just all kind of, there's robotic vacuum cleaners I hear, Don Gan. There are, there's all, you can turn your lights off with your phone. I mean, there's just all kind of stuff. Zero turn mowers, he wants one. You see what I'm saying? But with all these gadgets and machines to do work, most of us are more exhausted than ever. We earn more and more and more money. 
I went and looked it up in the median salary, well, the median household, entire household income in America for 2013 was a little over $51,000. Now your math lesson, the median average literally means the one in the middle. So that means that literally half of the people, households made less than that and half made more. I'm a math teacher, I have to teach you something mathematical. In 1980, it was 16,000. And even if you adjust for inflation, we're making more and more money. So I guess what I wonder is, with all this free time we're supposed to have and all this instant connection that's available and all these things that we've acquired, why is there such a void? The scripture I want to look at is John 10, 10. You can look in your translation. Mine says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And I would say that the thief is doing a pretty good job. You know, when I think about abundant life, that's something I want, not just for me, I want it for you. I want it for everybody. And the words that come to mind when I think about abundant life are words like worthy, present, authentic, loving, trusting, purposeful, creative, faithful, connected. See, I think some of us, including me, mostly me, I think sometimes we're going in the wrong direction. Somehow we've decided that abundant life means successful. Number one, self-sufficient, wealthy, perfect, easy. And none of those words do I find in here that are guaranteed for me. You know, last Sunday, I thought it was just an awesome service. And I so much appreciate Robert and the leadership and Gary doing all that. I think one of my favorite moments was when Steve was talking. And he said, you know, once the romance of rescuing a child wears off, then the hard work starts. And I so appreciated that because it is such a beautiful thing to adopt a child, to do foster care, but it's not easy. You know, after the honeymoon, then comes the hard work of being married. You know, you get that great job and then it gets hard. Abundant doesn't mean easy. Abundant means exactly what it says, all those words. You know, one of the things I'm not saying is, I'm not saying to try harder. I'm not saying to do more. I mean, we're already exhausted. What I'm saying is, we gotta do it differently. We just have to do it differently. You know, sometimes when my students don't perform to their peak, I'll pull them in my office and we'll have a talk. You know, I'll ask them, you know, what happened? And, you know, I'll give them some possibilities. And, you know, they'll tell me I just studied so hard and they just get so frustrated. And I look at them and said, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm telling you we're going to do it differently. 
There's a quote I want us to look at by Teddy Roosevelt. Look what it says. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. That's what I want for us. I want us to dare greatly. I think the secret to abundant life is living with open hearts, whole hearts and open hands. And that's really scary to me. I don't know if it's scary to you, but it's scary to me. You know, I really think that the willingness to tell our stories and to listen to other people's stories and the willingness to feel the pain of other people and the joy of other people and to let them feel ours and the willingness to stay connected in such a disconnected world, I truly think that's not for the faint of heart. I think that really is daring greatly. And I think that really is abundant living. So I started thinking about that. How can I move from the words I don't want, like exhausted and perfect and all those things I just can't seem to get together? And how do I get to those other words? And kind of three things came to mind. And one of them is this. And every time I talk, I feel like I say the same thing, but the same thing's important to me. Each person is so valuable. You were created worthy. It's not something that you earn. It's your birthright. I've said this a thousand times, but I truly believe that there was a moment in time when God thought of you. And at that moment, he thought, what a great idea. And you are his created great idea. Exactly the way that you are right now. I'm gonna show you one of my favorite pictures. It's called First Fist Bump. It's a dad and a little boy. Boy or girl, that's you and Jesus, do you understand? That's his connection with you. He truly, truly loves you more than anything. And you say, well, I may have been created good, but I've messed up. Probably have, I've messed up, I've messed up a lot. Let me show you a picture. We'll ask Bob Pennybaker about it later. I Googled the most expensive painting ever sold. This was the one I could show at church. 
It was number two. It's a painting by Jackson Pollock. Now, I'll have to admit, I really like Jackson Pollock. I love abstract art. That painting sold for $140 million. And I'm sure it's really good. <laughs> I just like it because it's got a lot of color, you know what I'm saying? But the reason it sold for $140 million is because of who painted it. You see, right now, there's another painting by Jackson Pollock. Supposedly, two women are fighting over it. Can you imagine? Right now, it's worth a few thousand dollars. But if they can authenticate it, the value jumps up to millions and millions and millions of dollars. But it's the same painting. You see, your value and my value is not in the painting, it's in the painter. You're just so valuable. So valuable. We have to believe that we're valuable. We have to believe that other people are valuable. One of the things I need you to understand is this, it's really okay to take care of yourself. It really is. That's one of the ways you get abundant life. You know when you're on that plane and they start giving you all those instructions that I don't listen to, you with me? The one that always fascinates me is, you know, when the oxygen mask drop down, I'm supposed to have like, be real calm, you know, and I'm supposed to put it on me first and then on small children. But I don't think I'd be able to even get the mask on anybody, so it's probably just a moot point, but there's a reason you're supposed to put it on yourself first. Because if you can't get it on that child in a certain length of time, you're gonna pass out and then everybody's toast, you're worthless. You put it on your face first. Then you've got as long as it takes to get it on the people around you. It's not spiritual to be exhausted. It really isn't. It really is okay to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Imagine my surprise when someone explained to me the difference one time between caring and caretaking. Now, I should be standing up here and go, hello, my name is Melinda and I'm a caretaker. Because till the day I die, I will struggle with this. Here's the difference between caring and caretaking. Caretaking is doing things for other people that they can do for themselves. Caring is doing things for other people that they can't do for themselves. I spend so much time caretaking, I don't have time left over for caring, which I think Satan really likes. You know, there are college students that their mothers call them to wake them up for class. You're going to be calling them when they're 40 to go to work. You see my point? I mean, this is something I struggle with absolutely all the time. There was a time when I, let me show you how Melinda does, jumps from caring to caretaking. My grandmother in her 80s couldn't go buy presents for people and it just distressed her so. 
And so caring, I said, Mama, I will buy the presents for all the great grandkids. And I will put from, I will show you what you bought them and I will put on there. That was caring. But then somehow it bled over into caretaking. I was buying my parents' presents for my children. I was buying Don's mother's presents for the children. And I was buying Don, you know, I was buying everybody's presents. Kelly's presents for Michael, Michael's presents for Kelly. You see what I'm saying? I hated Christmas. (laughs) So a rule of thumb for me, if I start resenting it, it's a big red flag for me that I'm not caring, I'm caretaking. Caretaking helps people not grow up. We need people to grow up. The other thing I do is this. I will help you, but I'm going to berate you while I do it. Kelly Gann's testifying in the back. Jesus stopped me in my tracks. I'm still one of those, hi, Melinda, and I berate. Um, But when the, the church I went to before this one, I always went on a mission trip. And on that mission trip, they went to Honduras. And one of the college girls at that time named Katie Jane, if you knew Katie Jane, this would be even better, got to New Orleans and realized she didn't have her passport. So she calls her mother back in the Jackson area and says, Mama, I think my passport's on the counter. Now, I know what would have happened if this had been my kid. Instead, here's what Gay Ragland did. She said, I'm on my way. And she hung that phone up, and she went straight to the counter and jerked up that passport, prayed for blind eyes of Holly Patrol, (laughs) and broke every law getting to New Orleans, and literally... She ran in the airport and walked and handed the passport to Katie Jane as they call the last call for the plane. My kids would have missed it because I'd have spent 15 minutes before I left telling them how irresponsible they were. (laughs) Berating doesn't do any good. Don't caretake, just care. We have to validate people. I read not long ago about we're an I-it society now. We look at other people as its. When somebody's waiting on you, you don't speak to them at the table. They're just getting your, you know, they're just an it. When I'm driving through the drive-thru, they're just an it. When I'm checking in at Walmart, they're just an it. They're not an it. They're a you. An I and a you. Every person is valuable. You know, last Sunday to me, that really got brought home. Talking about children, I saw a picture not long ago, well, this week actually, and it was from a website and had a little boy and he's holding a chalkboard and it said, I was in foster care. And then the next little frame said something like for 893 days. And then the next little chalkboard said, but today, and the next one said, I got adopted. The truth of the matter is, we've all been placed in foster care. 
And at the moment of conversion, we all need to hold that sign that said, today I got adopted. Even the children that you birthed, you're just their foster mom and dad. God's the real one. I so pray that you know that and that you tell that to other people. The other thing I want to say is that every place is valuable. Sometimes life is easier than others, but I think all circumstances God uses. But our circumstances shouldn't determine our abundance. They affect it, but they don't determine it. Sometimes circumstances can be changed and sometimes they can't. A friend of mine told me one time that he went in this old country store out in the boonies of Mississippi somewhere and he walked in and he went to get a snack and he said there was this old hound dog like dog laying on the on the floor and he said it was just just howling and he's looking at that dog like what is the deal and he just he's just like and he's looking at the guy behind the counter and he's not paying any attention and so like he gets his snack and that dog still just so finally he goes up to pay for the thing and he said is that your dog the guy goes yeah and he goes i think you need to check on him he seems to be in some pain and he said oh He's fine. He's just laying on a nail. Mark said, he said, well, why didn't he move? He said, I guess it don't hurt him bad enough yet. Some of us are on a nail and we need to quit howling or get off. You understand what I'm saying? There is nothing spiritual about suffering for no reason. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes I think Jesus makes us uncomfortable for a reason. It's time to move. It's time to do something different. Sometimes, though, you can't change your circumstances. You know, last night, I was looking at that picture of that young man that died. Too many people die. And I keep thinking, some mom, some dad. Last Friday before the football game, he was fine. And now he's gone. And I wish that I had some magic words, but I don't. All I know is I have to live with my hands open. And that is so scary to me. Because that means... Not only can Jesus put things in, he can take things out. But I have to live with my hands open. Because if I close them up, nothing good can get in either. There's nothing I can say to that mom except I will sit with you in this. But you know what? I have discovered, I've discovered that you can feel more than one feeling at once. And even when life is hard, and even when it's scary and painful, there's also joy. She had him. For all those years, she had him. I think the moment that kind of came home to me, Michael got married in June. 
And he's walking me to seat me down the aisle. And I can't even explain to you all the emotions that went through my body at that moment. Part of me was glad to be getting rid of him, I'll have to be honest with you. But, you know, um, I'm walking down that aisle and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking there's so many times in my life when I, I didn't think he'd grow up, to, I didn't think that you would be here. And I'm so happy because his wife, is, she's awesome. But in just a few minutes, I will not be the number one woman in his life. She will matter more than me. She already did, but you know, it wasn't official. <laughs> so I'm walking down there and all these emotions are going through and they seat me and then Michael gets up there and he's looking and he sees her the first time and he's, he's about to lose it. He's overcome, he looks at me, I think if I snap, we're all, it's gonna, it's gonna be a chain reaction. Oh my God. And my precious Kelly leaned over and said the words I needed to hear. And if you've seen the birdcage, this is way better because she leaned over and she said, Bob Dole is gorgeous. And I was okay. <laughs> Except that she knew me that well. That's what abundance is. All those feelings at once. Joy and pain and sad and happy. Somebody told me one time that feelings are like kids in a car. You can't put them in the trunk, but you don't want them driving the car either. I have to learn things about containment. I'm not real good at containment. The other thing I want to say is this. Each moment is valuable. And don't let Satan tell you otherwise. They're not red flags that say this one matters. Every moment is valuable. Tony Campolo tells another story that I love about being in Haiti before the, you know, the hurricane. He was in Port-au-Prince and he was walking down the street and this little girl of about 14 walks up to him and says, Mister, you can have me all night for $10. He just looks at her and she's got two friends with her. Tony Campolo looks at one of the other little girls and says, can I have you for $10 too? And he said, she straightened up and swallowed and said, yes, sir. And he looked at the other one and said, and you? And she said, absolutely. And he said, okay, in an hour, all three of you meet me in my hotel room. And they do. But the hour before they got there, he ran to the desk of the hotel, the hotel. And he said, do you have Disney movies? The guy said, yeah. And he said, I need them all. And he said, do you got ice cream? And he said, yeah. And he said, I need three banana splits with all the ice cream and hot fudge and whipped cream you can get on there. And he said, when those three girls arrived, they knocked on the door and he opened the door and he immediately handed them their $10 each. 
And he said, you're free to go. But I'd like for you to stay, and here's why. And he said, those three girls stayed up all night almost, eating hot fudge sundaes and banana splits, and he kept them coming and watching Disney movies until they fell asleep. And he said they were asleep, and he was looking at them. And he said, Satan said, it won't matter. Tomorrow they're right back on the streets. And he said, the Holy Spirit said, don't listen. They will always have had this night. Sometimes you can rescue. Sometimes you can only give a moment. But that moment changes lives. I'm going to read you something that I got about three years ago. I was teaching. On paper, it was such a good lesson. It really was. I mean, seriously, it was one of my finer lessons, I thought. And I got down to, and then it wasn't. Do you understand? Like I taught, it didn't work. It just didn't go well. They were looking at me just like the Charlie Brown walk, 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 walk. And so I'm going back upstairs to the office, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm just too old. Maybe I should just retire. You know, it's been a good run. Let's just lay it to bed. And Jesus has a way of doing this. I flipped on my email to double check it. And I had a notification from Facebook. And here's what it said. You got a message. So I went to Facebook and here was the message. Are you the same Ms. Gann that taught math at Castleberry Middle School? If not, sorry to bug you. And I messaged him back. I absolutely am, just older now. I teach mathematics at Mississippi College. How are you? And here's what I get back. O-M-G. And there's just exclamation marks. I've been wanting to find you for a long time. I wanted to tell you that you changed my life. Because of your eighth grade math class, I changed my attitude about school. And math ended up being my favorite class all the way through high school. And the only subject I got straight A's in. I have an awesome job and I feel I owe it to that gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I didn't always look like this. Um, <laughs> I was 23, math teacher that really took the time and cared. Thank you, Ms. Gann. And I wrote back. What wonderful words. I'm so glad I had a small part in helping. My two years at Castle Bay remain some of my favorite. Y'all were just so much fun. Of all the students I've kept in touch with, the greatest numbers are from Castleberry. Special students, special place, and special time. Please let me hear from you and tell me what you're doing. And here's what I get back. Don't underestimate your role in my life. It was huge. I've added you to my friend list and please confirm. Again, thank you very much for the positive influence. Hope life has been good for you because you certainly deserve it. Now, the reason I tell you that is this. That message came when he was 40. 25 years after I taught him. 
And the important part is this. I started thinking, Dennis Nelson, Dennis Nelson. All I had was an image of a dark-haired, quiet boy. So I go and I pull the yearbook out and I look. And I remember Dennis, but I don't remember any deep conversations. I don't remember any long talks or lots of interactions. He was an eighth grade boy in my class. Quiet, didn't say much. There wasn't a flag that said this is so important and this matters. Because they all matter. And they're all important. And the truth is, even if I hadn't gotten this, it would have mattered. Do you understand? I think the shock of your life is going to be when you get to heaven, you find out all the things you did do. Mother Teresa says, nobody can do great things. We can only do small things with great love. And that's what abundant life is. Stepping into all those small things. Believing that every person, including yourself, is worthy and valuable. Treating them I and you, not I and it. It's about realizing that there's a reason that you are where you are. There's a lesson to be learned. There's something that you need. You know, Beth Moore says, if you pray for a cup to pass and Jesus doesn't take it, then that cup must be essential to your mission here. So I can either change my circumstances or I can pray for Jesus to change my attitude about my circumstances. Every moment's valuable. You're not, we're not going to get a message that says, pay attention, this one's it. Abundance is something that we choose. Choose to laugh. Choose to dance. You cannot be unhappy if you're dancing. It is not possible. You say, well, I can't dance. Okay, I'm going to solve your problem. I saw this sign not long ago. It, made me, it was a sign that I saw obviously taken in Europe because here's what it said. Can't dance, question mark. It was on the front of a store. And it said, write your name in the air with your bum. Problem solved. <laughs> now, you know when I did that, what I did immediately. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just automatically going to have to, you just do it. You know what I'm saying? You cannot be in a bad mood. If you're having a really bad day, do what I do. Just ride the cart from Walmart from the front door to your car. It's all, it not only makes your day happy, a 50-year-old woman do it, it makes everybody's day happy. Choose it. Look at this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. When two people relate to each other authentically and humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. And I'm going to end with this. Years ago, there was a book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Before your time, do you understand? So I will read it to you. It says, most of what I really need to know, to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile. And these are the things that I learned 
Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. When you hit, when you hurt somebody, say you're sorry. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon, that's my favorite. When you go into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together and never forget to wonder. Let me close this. Father, I'm eternally grateful that abundant life is what you want for each of us, but we have to choose it. I pray for bravery to be able to dare greatly and to, to live life intimately with people, to tell my story and listen to theirs, to not let Satan convince me that this doesn't matter because it matters. Every kind word, every hug given, every smile, every listening ear, every holding somebody when they cry and lay them hold me when I cry. That's a godly moment. That's a holy moment. Thank you, Jesus.